0: why I don't believe there will be spring football in the Big Ten, and then what happens to us if these other leagues are able to pull off a college football season. We'll get into all of that next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. (laughs) Looks for Waits for him, Tim
1: This is no time for that. In the
0: pocket and a sack. Tim Jameson. Brady gets terrific. Trezor. Get a Touchdown. Night again.
1: Schultz. Just before Brazil. Got it.
0: And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh
1: back to throw over the middle.
0: Caught by at to fly on his feet. down Michigan! On his play. And good! He's 5'7", 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan. But Jamie
1: Morris packs a wallop and he delivers for Bo and And here's your first play. Pressure coming, second. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number. And he's going to score.
0: Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. win it. We're going to win the championship again because we're going to play as a team. And when we play as a team and the old season is over, you and I know, it's going to be Michigan again. Greetings, Go Blue. Welcome to this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. I am Steve Dace. We'll have our 10-minute war with our good friend Mark Rogers coming up here in the next segment of the program. But let's begin by what we teased at the top. Why I don't believe we're going to see spring football in the Big Ten. Hey, I hope that I'm wrong. I mean, I'm going to take any football at this point. But I don't think we're going to see spring football in the Big 10 and what I think could happen if these other three leagues the ACC, the Big 12 and the SEC are able to pull off a successful season. Now we should define our terms in these days of terms being malleable. By successful season, what I mean is not so many not so much the number of games, incidents, cancellations, but did they get to the end of the rainbow? which is the conference championship game. Those are very lucrative endeavors for every one of the power conferences. So did a league get to the conference championship game for that conference? That, to me, is a successful season. And I think we need to consider how life may change in our part of the world moving forward if these leagues are able to do that. So let's begin taking a look at this question. All right, Uh, If college football doesn't happen this fall, then I think it is likely that you're not going to see it again until the fall of 2021. And that is after a good percentage of FBS athletic departments go under. Now, let me let me say this before I explain why. If if none of the leagues can play this fall, none of them are going to play in the spring. All right, they're they're going to hang together or hang separately at that point. Nobody uh, nobody is going to get an unfair advantage over anybody else. There's no point in truncating schedules and everything else. I think you'll just see the whole sport shut down until next fall. However. If the other leagues are able to pull off a successful season, then I do think the odds of spring football happening in the Big Ten go from what I currently think, which is zero, to at the very least 50-50. I think the odds go up very high because then I think there's huge pressure on the Big Ten to pull something off in this school year. But barring that happening, here's why I don't think we're going to see college football, at least in the Big Ten, until next fall. Because unless SARS-2, which is what we're up against right here, unless SARS-2 burns its out magically and disappears at the end of August in the heat of the summer, as the first SARS did. I, I don't see there's any way on our current epidemiological curve it will be gone by February or so when the spring football season is supposed to begin. Um, without achieving herd immunity naturally, We consider that, for some odd reason, to be junk science now. It's helped us survive as a species for thousands of years. Or via a meaningful vaccine. Not like a flu shot, but a meaningful one. The same pattern repeats itself. Every time you bring people together that haven't been exposed to a highly infectious contagion, there's going to be a surge in new cases. You're seeing this pattern in Hong Kong, the Philippines, Australia. Several European countries previously given credit for their lockdowns, New Zealand was held up as the The one country on earth that proved lockdowns work. They're going back into another lockdown, pushing their election off until October. And then once the lockdowns end, a new wave of cases begins when the reopening begins because unexposed people then get exposed. And since our focus is all on cases, you know, right now we're somewhere over 5 million cases. You know, we had over 60 million H1N1 cases a decade ago, by the way. It won't matter, though, if, if our focus is on cases, it won't matter if the new strains are weaker. In my home state of Iowa, since June, the average age of a positive test has been 22 years old. Since July 1 in Florida, the average age of a positive test has been 21 years old. That's great news, by the way. That means the virus is now, instead of decimating our nursing homes, it's going up against people with younger, more robust, stronger immune systems. But we're ignoring centuries of that science, unless you're called Sweden. So we're fixated on cases. And so just like we saw with the Sunbelt wave that wasn't nearly as destructive as the tri-state wave in New York, New Jersey and Connecticut, the fear of risk will remain. I don't think there's any way politically you're going to get away with vaccinating college football players before the general population. And that's even if a vaccine is ready to go by February. No politician's going to sign off on that outrage. Plus, it's still an improbably optimistic timetable for any kind of vaccine as it is. So we're already being warned anyway that any such vaccine will be lucky to be as efficacious as a flu shot, which, depending on where you live and the and the potency of that strain... Fails about 50% of the time, which means plenty of risk remains of contracting the virus, especially with February and March still peak seasonal influenza months here in the northern half of the United States. And if you think the players are activists now, and I don't think it's any coincidence that it's been a week now and still the only two conferences that have closed down in the Power Five are the two whose players made a public posture towards organization i don't think that's a coincidence so if you think the players are activists now take an entire season this fall away from them only to ask them to play two seasons in nine months even if it's truncated seasons with no real reduction of risk of contraction come february as well plus you throw in the wear and tear on the body of football good luck with that you're gonna you're just gonna invite the 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 players to activate at that point and thus, there is no reasonable expectation of liability deliverance come February, especially since that's still peak virus season in many places around the country. And now you've angered the players further by taking a real season 99% of them want to play away from them. No college football this year, I think, may even mean no college sports, period. Although now Mark Emmert at the NCAA is talking about a bubble for the NSA tournament, You know, we can't, I mean, that's a billion dollar payday. They can't worry about, or they're worried about losing out on that two years in a row. But if it's not safe to play outdoors, then how do you put 600 men's and women's basketball teams, how do you play them indoors across the country during the peak influenza season? So without a bubble, bye-bye NCAA tournament again. That tournament is about 90% of the NCAA's operating budget revenue every year, just as college football is about 75% or more of every athletic department's budget revenue. Can you smell the apocalypse? Welcome to the college sports, Chernobyl. And if you think politicians, regardless of who wins in November, are going to line up to give taxpayer bailouts to these athletic departments while we're still overcoming the loss of a third of our GDP, you are smoking a dangerous, low-grade form of crack. That ain't happening. There's no way these athletic departments are getting bailouts right after they were claiming nonprofit status, but still had the chutzpah to ask the U.S. Senate for an antitrust exemption last month. That is a laughable lack of self-awareness. So whatever liability these university presidents fear now is going to be dwarfed. By the financial apocalypse, it seems a few of them anyway are about to self-inflict. If they were worried about the players organizing before, I guarantee if they go through with this and don't play this fall, I guarantee it happens now. Shutting down college football won't thwart that organization. It's going to make it so. I know in their ivory towers, you know, where Mark Schlissel apparently has never visited the Michigan football program one time. In the almost five years he's been president here now. And you would think if you're an immunologist and you've got hundreds of students back on campus this summer in the midst of a pandemic, you'd think you'd be visiting their facilities and making sure they're socially distancing and practicing the protocols and the the students feel safe. Never visited them one time. So there you go. In their ivory towers, with all those subsidies and tenure, they believe that there's such a thing as a risk-free life. And there's always a utopian solution to find. But here in the real world, where we're not all too big to fail and able to call tenure on our bosses, sadly, we are forced to know better. These university presidents, if they go through with this, they're about to learn a harsh lesson about that real world. They aren't going to prevent a catastrophe. They're going to ignite one. This will be the college sports version of the Smoot-Hawley Act. These university presidents are about to Herbert Hoover themselves. Come fall of 2021 college sports will return either because we've reached natural herd immunity the long way or the fear has subsided enough with a flu-like shot but when it does it's when college sports come back they're going to look dramatically different highly unlikely that different is better we'll see but I think it's potentially you're look, it's potentially you're looking at systemic ruin here and in conclusion these university presidents are about to prove again that the worst decisions in all of human history are always made out of fear. Latest numbers out of Michigan, 1.4% of all deaths in that state from COVID, the 6,300 deaths, people 40 and younger, 1.4%. We have been stricken by fear. The virus is terrible. The fear, though, is worse. Our good friend Mark Rogers will join us for the 10-Minute War here in a moment want to thank all of you who have been supporting us on Patreon these last few years here on Michigan podcast. And for those of you that ask us every now and then, Hey, what can we do to help uh, support what you guys are doing and help it to grow Well, supporting us on Patreon is a big way you can do that. Patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. And as you can see, when you become a $5 a month uh, subscriber and supporter or more, you get uh, as well, exclusive content that we publish just for you on our Patreon page, including a lot of the stuff that I do with sports handicapping as legalization goes wider throughout the country. In fact, you can see uh, I put up just a couple of weeks ago uh, the notes uh, for NFL win totals, looking at the schedule release. So a lot more where that came from if you want to support us at patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. And it begins the 10-minute war that never takes just 10 minutes with our good friend, the lone, reasonable Ohio State fan with a pretty darn good YouTube channel in his own right, our good friend Mark Rogers. Good to have you back, brother. How are you?
1: Appreciate it, Steve. Uh, a couple guys uh, like us that get together like to talk college football. I guess 10-minute uh, was uh, just, just a name in and of itself. That yeah, it's, a, works it, well,
0: it, but. it's about the branding, not about the truth in advertising. Speaking of which... You know what's not about branding or truth in advertising right now? The Big Ten. Hey, the Big 12 during the uh, the realignment, uh, uh, you know, uh, musical chairs we played 10 years ago called and says, wow, you guys really suck at this whole messaging thing. And so it, it, I keep seeing people make comparisons between how well the Pac-12s handle it. I got to call BS on that, Mark. First of all, their fans don't care. Secondly, College football fans don't care about them. Thirdly, they're in a part of the country that let's just face it and just acknowledge it. All right. We're in an election year. Let's not lie to each other. They're in a part of the country that politically, by and large, is totally fine locking down for evs until the magical vaccine occurs. All right. So there is no pressure on them whatsoever. And, and this press conference they gave, where they gave specifics, they gave one specific. And it was they didn't trust that the testing would be readily available and affordable. And since they belong largely to a part of the country looking for an excuse to hide, their fans were actually like relieved that they don't have to be pressured to watch college football. So let's move them aside. And now there's the rest of the country. Here in the Big Ten, uh, I think I've never seen anything like what's going on with our league. I mean, the story that's going today, Sean Wade's dad flying from Florida to, uh, to to Illinois to confront the Big Ten headquarters about why his son's not playing. That, that's what you want. You want a future number 1 pick on your most, and I hate to admit it, but it's true, most visible program showing up uninvited trying to figure out why his kid can't play football. We've now had letters from multiple schools of, of parents going to the Big Ten. You had the athletic director at Penn State yesterday, Sandy Barber, saying, she wasn't aware that any vote was ever taken about whether or not to cancel the season, any kind of formal vote. This thing is a fuster cluck of epic proportions. And I think right now what you're watching is the league is just in a bunker hunkered down, hoping to run out the clock, hoping these other three leagues fail and can't go forward so that they escape accountability. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I think that, um, over the past several weeks, uh, both of us have outlined, um, The reasoning or what we believe to be the reasoning of the Big Ten shutting down uh, the 2020 season, because it hasn't been completely explained to us, uh, because both of us, Steve, you and I have both delivered a counterpoint to every supposed point that was made for canceling football. Really, when it comes right down to it, the only one on the surface, the only consideration given that I can buy to a certain extent would be the long term impact, the long-term medical impact on the players, except we're going to turn around and put those same players on the field in December exactly. to get ready for a January football season. What great studies are going to come out between now and then to determine, oh, yes, we've got a good handle on the long-term impact to these student-athletes. It just doesn't exist, and it won't exist uh, during that short uh, duration of time. So that was the only thing that that caused me to pause for a minute and say, Yeah, there is little known about the long term impacts and to put those players out there. But every other point that has been made, Steve, I know that on your channel and mine, we have denounced each one of them very effectively because they just don't exist in a rational form
0: and with the long term ramifications of course we don't know what the long term ramifications are with a virus that we only we didn't even really know about until 6 or 7 months ago so i know of only one way to know the long term ramifications of something and that is to monitoring it stick with me now okay that's to monitor it long term I don't know any other way. So so then we just don't play college football for 10, 20 years while we sit out here and monitor the long-term ramifications of that. It's a fallacy, that argument. The myocarditis, myocarditis argument, here's why I don't buy that. First of all, first of all, you've had a cardiologist with thousands of followers on Twitter at Michigan, maybe the most decorated med school in the entire conference. And then you had a cardiologist at Mayo, also in the Big Ten footprint in Minnesota, have both come out and called BS on that. Uh, So and here's the other thing with the myocarditis thing. If it was that they would have told us that from the very beginning. We both know our league loves to claim the fake moral high ground perpetually. If they had this evidence, if they had some kind of certifiable medical evidence, we would have seen it, I believe. By now, because they're getting drilled every which way but Sunday at the moment. So if they had some smoking gun somewhere, they would have showed it to us. Um, I, so I don't buy the myocarditis thing, the testing example or testing excuse that the the Pac-12 utilized. Well, they used they utilized that excuse before the NBA Players Association announced that it actually subsidized a saliva-based test uh, that's now FDA approved uh, from Yale University. Oh, and oh by the way, one of our own universities, the University of Illinois. Has just uh, successfully completed a rapid fire uh, coronavirus test at the exact same time. So all of the various rationales were being given. They just don't pass the smell test. If they had something objective, they would have shared it by now. Which means they simply used subjective reasoning. They didn't. They didn't like the optics of it. They didn't want to uh, encounter the liability. It's politics. It's um it's well these are the only two leagues that have had players posture towards publicly organizing and they're the only two leagues still in the power five that are canceled who knows which of those subjective reasons it is we put 14 ivory tower elites in a room it's probably a different subjective reason for a whole the whole batch of them at the same time right but at the very least we know it's subjective and that's why it's only angering players their families coaches and their own and their own fans more who knows whether there'll be enough pressure in the next week or two to get them to retract this decision i don't think the odds are high but i don't think they're zero by any means either but at the very least mark there is a long-term chasm of credibility here between the big 10 and it's it's players families coaches and fans that i don't see getting reconciled anytime soon
1: I didn't think that they necessarily anticipated this or they couldn't have anticipated the groundswell of support to play football. Of course, that they knew that the fans would be mad and, uh, you know, the people out there that don't necessarily have a voice. But once you get the players and their families involved uh, to the measure that they have been, it's uh, it is a. PR nightmare right now for the Big Ten because there's really nothing that can play out here except for the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 failing to complete a season that is going to be their best outcome. But other than that, um, even if those kids get on the field and are able to play some semblance of a season, it's just not going to be a good look for the Big Ten uh, in regards to uh, the decision making process.
0: What do you think? I said a minute ago, I don't think the odds are zero. I don't think they're high. So I'd probably put up 20%, which means 80% won't happen. But they do have an out to save face. They can say, hey, we didn't know about this FDA-approved saliva test. Um, And now we've got something similar at the University of Illinois here in our own footprint as well. The NBA has subsidized this test, so it's, it's $10 a pop to administer it, I think is what it is. So... Be, in light of this new information, we're going to reopen. Well, the camps aren't closed. That's the irony, too, by the way. If they really had all these myocarditis cases, then then only from limited workouts and walkthroughs. Why did they allow the limited walk-outs, walkthroughs, and workouts to continue then? Why didn't they shut down them all? Michigan has been has practiced. You know, Harbaugh, dude. They've practiced every damn day. Okay, they have practiced every day at Michigan since this announcement. So why didn't they shut down all of these workouts then? If they were even if if even those limited ones were exposing teams to myocarditis, that's the other reason I don't buy it. But what do you think the odds are that there's going to be enough pressure mounted on them that they could come out in the next week or two and say, "Tell you what, all right, we're going to go ahead, go to camps, we're going to go to contact, and then we're going to see how that goes for a couple of weeks." We're moving the season back to the end of September where the SEC is at. And then we'll just, we'll we'll go on their timetable and see where things are at, especially with the students on campus. What do you think?
1: You know, Steve, the other portion of this that I would love to have seen some follow-up on, because I just don't think it really exists, is once these student-athletes started to hit campus the first week of June, we started to hear the reports come in of the, the positive tests. You know, we would hear from LSU and Clemson and on down the line.
0: Well LSU and Clemson had 54 players test positive in June between the two of them. 54.
1: Yeah, but we've never heard a follow-up. I know. Of,
0: How many I went to the hospital? How did. many died? How many were intubated, yes. right? And there's never any follow-up yes. to that. Yeah.
1: And all the stories on the major networks where we would see, uh, the, you know, the stories with the heartstrings playing and, you know, the uh, the violins in the background in regards to, uh, you know, this is just one of those, you know, six-minute little uh, package documentaries that we would see on our various uh, favorite sports uh, platforms where we would see the, the follow-up from uh, a journalistic standpoint to you know to, to tell the story of you know day one looked like this and day seven looked like this and day fourteen and you know they were at the brink of death and then they came. If there would have been one player with a good story uh, to tell, you would have think thought it would have been told at this point, but I don't think it exists.
0: So so, so
1: it, in regards to the, in it, light of that,
0: do you see the pressure mounting on the Big Ten that would cause them to say, hey, we got to get out of this poop storm?
1: Well, it looks awful. Nobody, nobody with any semblance of pride or arrogance, uh, I'll choose the latter term, wants to go back on there and look bad. It, it just looks bad to go back and reverse field, even if that's the right thing to do. So um, I think it's a low percentage, I think less than 10 percent chance of the Big Ten. um Especially, of course, they're they're waiting for some semblance of support from the other leagues. Not support directly, but supporting evidence coming out from the other leagues. And we get a smattering of it every so often. Nine players at Oklahoma the other day uh, that that is giving them some hope, I would think, that the other three are going to shut down. But I think it's less than 10% that the Big Ten retracts its original decision.
0: How about the fact we both agree on some level that the Big Ten is rooting for the failure of its own sport. How about that? What a what a what a terrible position to lock yourself into. And they've locked us as fans into this too, Mark, let's be honest. I mean, I'm, a lot our, our fans want to see college football this fall no matter who it is. On the other hand, we have to understand that if these other leagues pull this off successfully, and I define success before you came on as not so many, not so much how many games they're able to play, but are they able to get to the end of the rainbow? A conference championship game. Even if several games have to be canceled, things of that nature, but there's enough integrity in the schedule that they can have a true conference champion. If they do that, they've had a successful season. And we have to understand that if these leagues pull this off and our league set this out... The damage this is going to do to us competitively and from a branding standpoint, it's almost like SMUing yourself, right? So they've put us as fans in a tough situation, which is in order to root for, to see college football this fall, we have to root for an outcome that probably is a detriment to our favorite teams here in the Big Ten, which is another crappy position to be in. But let's talk about the spring for a minute. To me, I think spring football is directly tethered to what happens with the other conferences. If the Big Ten doesn't reverse course and the other leagues can have these successful seasons, then I do think you're going to see spring football in the Big Ten. I think the pressure to put something on this calendar year because the negative recruiting and everything that our coaches are going to face is going to be excruciating. All right. If, however, these other leagues cannot pull off a successful season, then I don't think you'll see any spring football in the Big Ten. What do you think?
1: And we're also going to be at a place on the calendar at that point. Not to get political about it, but there will be a certain uh, election that will will have already taken place at that point, uh, regardless of the outcome. Right. So it might
0: it might be politically safe to look at the actual data again. Who knows? Rather than lying to ourselves, exactly. Yeah.
1: But the the feasibility of a spring football season, and I was thinking, you know, about my own little set here. Maybe uh, man, spring football gets us all excited, right? I get maybe my Chicago Blitz and Memphis Showboats uh, helmets out. <laughs> and we can uh, go back to the the mid-80s. But my goodness, I just don't think it's feasible. We addressed it to a certain extent in other weeks, but not because of the Justin Fields type example of the guy that's the automatic top five pick in the NFL draft, but the 250 to 60 players that are drafted each year, plus the 150-odd players, something in that range, that have legitimate hopes of being drafted. You're talking about... Four to five hundred players that would be a national scale. You pair that down to the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, 150 players that have legitimate draft hopes. What do they do? Look at the predicament you're putting them in. Uh, they have to decide, do they need more game tape or do they need to prepare for an NFL draft? Are we going to see players uh suit up and play three or four games, be satisfied with their performance and their 300-yard rushing days or whatever it is, and say, "Ah, I gotta prepare for that combine coming up, see ya. Uh, That's one consideration that could possibly happen. Uh, Of course, the, the whole smashing two football seasons into one calendar year, despite the efforts of a Jeff Braum in particular in reducing the games, reducing the practices, reducing the physical nature of the sport in regards to the the amount of contact and collision within those practices. It's a noble effort, but it's still magnified more so than one football season, full football season in one calendar year. It's still way too much for these guys. And also, Steve, I, I think find it interesting because I have posed viewers the question after Many of them posed it to me first. How valid would a national championship be in the sp- in the fall? First and foremost, between those three conferences, I thought back quickly to 2018. Think of 2018. We had a national championship that involved the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 in Notre Dame. The Pac-12 and the Big Ten were excluded. It's not a true playoff. By invitation, they were excluded from participating in 2018. And Ohio State had basically the same resume, besides better wins, than Oklahoma. So which is more legitimate or less legitimate? One in which you play a season between those three conferences, and the other two conferences decided not to play. They forfeited those games. Or was your national championship more legitimate in 2018 when you excluded those two conferences from playing uh, in your national championship? Also, consider this, Steve, for the college football nation where it's all about opti- uh, optives, optics, I should say, and uh, uh, about perception. Since 2015, get this, the SEC and Clemson are 15-6 and six in the college football playoff. And where do you think those six losses came from? against each other. Yeah. All of Clemson's losses were to the SEC right. and all of the SEC losses were to Clemson. They are 9 and 0 collectively, Clemson and the SEC against the rest of college football. Therefore, they can claim legitimacy for this national championship and say, "Hey, we win these things anyway."
0: I mean, the What's going to happen is, in the, is the is the Big 10 and Pac-12 won a playoff game since Ohio State won the very first college football playoff. I don't think the leagues have won a single nope. game, have they?
1: no they haven't so and and what you know i i don't i'm not trying to tout the 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 um the relevance of my own program here but to the average college football fan we're in a we're in a gold medal sport that's the you and i still value the bowl games we still value the big 10 championship the average college football fan it's all about the playoff and who do they think is a legitimate contender Out of those two conferences, Ohio State, they think one is, and even someone questioned that. So you've eliminated one team in the eyes of many college football fans.
0: That is well said. Yeah, the Big Ten
1: and the Pac-12 playing in the spring and Ohio State clobbering the Big Ten and then clobbering a a Rose Bowl participant in the Pac-12 is not going to impress anyone.
0: That's if they do, because I think you're going to see the Buckeyes put a JV team out there. I mean, Justin Fields and those, and Sean Wade and those guys are not playing sure. college football in February, March, and April, right? So, who, I mean, that's what Nick Saban called it yesterday. He brought up the point you just made about all the guys that will sit out. Any draft-eligible player is sitting out. So it's going to look like JV football is what it's going to look like in the spring. Finally, do you agree with me that the, the odds of this occurring in the spring of the Big Ten are directly tied to to what happens with the other conferences in the fall. That if the league can can politically just sit the whole year out until next year, it's going to do that. But for that to happen, it needs these other leagues to fail. If these other leagues pull it off in the fall, Ryan Day, Jeff Brom, Scott Frost, Jim Harbaugh, James Franklin, and these guys are already losing their minds. If they sit there for two months and watch these other leagues play, the, the calls that they're going to get from recruits and everything else, if you thought they were howling last week, wait until we get to November and we're knee-deep into a college football season that we're sitting out on. So I I think it really is tied to what happens in these other leagues, whether we play in the spring or not.
1: No, it makes total sense, Steve. But it's a can't-win situation because you have to play, because they just proved that they are able to play. Mm -hmm. And as we go along versus this pandemic, we should be gaining better results. So why wouldn't you play in the spring? But the no-win situation is, again, you get on the field and you're either just playing yourselves for a Big Ten championship because the Pac-12 isn't able to get themselves together. And if they've canceled sports through the calendar year of 2020, who knows if they're going to be able to put together a football season for the spring. And again, their relevancy on a national level is compromised. So everyone, while these games are being played in the spring, is going to be saying, why weren't you guys playing that legitimate season point. that we just completed when everybody's supposed to be playing college football so we could have seen a legit national championship run?
0: Mark Rogers, always good to see you, brother. Thanks uh, for joining us, my friend, here in the 10-minute, much longer than 10-minute war. Take care, all right? Appreciate it, Steve. You bet. This week's Twitter poll results. Do you believe there's any chance... The Big Ten will retract the cancellation of the fall football season if it sees other power conferences begin to safely pull it off. Seventy-four point five percent of you said no. Twenty-five point five percent of you said yes. Now, since I asked this question, though, the pressure on the league is only mounting, and I, I think it's it's higher than we think. I I don't think it's I don't think it's fifty fifty. I don't think it's zero, though, either. I I think the pressure continues to mount on the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten is running out the clock, as I said to Mark Rogers. I think they're running out the clock, hoping that these other leagues fail so it can escape accountability. That brings us to this week's question of the week, which I'm asking myself. Hey, just wondering if, if Kevin Warren has demanded the Big Ten commissioner, has he demanded his son stop practicing for Mississippi State? They went to full pads this week. Or they went to camp this week, I should say, in the SEC. It's full pads in the Big 12. So is Kevin Warren's son practicing in the SEC? It's safe for his son to practice in the SEC. Why isn't it safe for the sons of all these parents that are writing the Big 10 to be practicing here in the conference? Inquiring minds want to know. That'll do it for this week's episode. Thanks for joining all of you here. Uh, thanks for all of you for joining us here on Michigan Podcast. We appreciate all of you. Make sure you check us out online at wolverinedigest.com, at Michigan Podcast on Twitter. And that's where you can keep up to date on what we think about all things Michigan-related and more all week long. Please make sure to give us a five-star review, like, rate, subscribe, share, whichever the case may be, whether it's YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, et al. Thanks to all of you that have done those things for us already until the next time go blue you could join me for some great seafood me too wait why are you dressed in fishing gear you said we were going out to catch great seafood right yes to popeyes do you even know how to fish no i thought you did oh yeah i could catch pretty good seafood at popeyes let's go let popeyes do the fishing while you enjoy our delicious signature seafood get popeyes flounder fish sandwich or shrimp tackle box before they're gone limited time at participating u.s restaurants